I hope you have a Bible with you this morning, and if you would, please take it out and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We have been walking through this letter of 1 Peter that he is writing to the church. We've been walking through this letter verse by verse through our Sunday mornings. I think we got one more Sunday morning, and then we'll be through, and we'll be on to a, put through a, through a, new, to a new area of Scripture. But we have been walking through this letter of Peter right into the church, and he is giving instructions to the church, and he is giving exhortations to the church. He is giving encouragement to the church, and he is trying to tell the church what it looks like to live out their identity in Christ in the days in which they live. And we are facing a similar crisis in our world today where we have people that are wondering, what does it look like to be a Christian? We have a whole new generation of young people that are getting fed one story from the world. They're getting fed one ideology from school and from their peers. And yet when it comes to the church, what do we tell them? What do we give them? What hope do we have for them? Forty-something men gathered yesterday morning for men's breakfast here at the church. That's not me. Don't blame me. It's not me. But they, we, we gathered here together at the church, and the conversation was, how do we grow as men? How do we grow in our faith? How do we grow as disciples in Christ? How do we help other men come along in this discipleship picture? And so it's a, it's a question that we are facing on a regular basis. How do I live in the world in which I'm in in faithfulness to the Lord? So that is what Peter has been talking about. So as we come, we're going to start here in 1 Peter chapter 5. And, and really what I want you to think about this morning is think about the area of service. We've been talking about the difference that it makes in the Christian as far as being in Christ, in our identity in Christ, and the difference that makes in us personally. And then we shifted gears and started talking about the difference it makes in the church Corporately, So when we come together, the difference that the world should see in us. So we've talked about the differences in our attitudes, the differences in our sufferings, the differences in our behavior towards one another. And this morning, I want you to consider with me that, that Peter is going to address the difference in our service. Some of my fondest memories growing up is my grandfather would take cattle down to sell at Oklahoma City at the stockyards, and you would get up with grandpa. Now, now Van has some different stories. He, he had more profits than my grandpa, but we would get down there, and we would, we would head down there, and one of the highlights was, was right there on Agnew, there was a Brahms. So you would go, and you'd drop the cattle off, and then before you get back on the highway, you would always stop, and grandpa would buy you a hamburger. Now, Van, his story is he stops at Cattleman's and eats his profits, but Grandpa, Grandpa would never do that, and so we'd, we'd always stop there at Brahms, and so whether it's Cattleman's Steakhouse, whether it's Brahms, the, the picture is still relevant. You go into the place, and there's somebody that greets you, somebody that serves you, somebody that has prepared a meal for you, and you sit down and eat the meal. But, you know, behind the scenes, there is so much else going on. There's somebody that had to clean the facility. There's somebody that has to bust the tables. There's somebody that has to order the food. There's somebody that's back there that's preparing the food. There's somebody that comes and is serving the food. There are so many different components that is in place for one event, and that is the customer coming in and having a wonderful experience. Now, I take that translation, and I think about where we're at in the church today, and for too many times, this church has become a circus. Now, I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church at large. It's become a, a circus. It's about bringing in as many people and making everybody feel happy about themselves and making everybody feel good about themselves and trying to pack it in with the programs, methodologies, the juggling acts, the circus acts, all of those things. And we forget that the whole reason the church exists is not to serve the common customer. The reason why the church exists is to serve God. And when when 
people come into this place. They should see a church that is not focused on the person, but focused on the Savior. And that's why I put there at the top of your notes that the object of our worship defines the purpose of our service. Because if you were to go into a restaurant, their, their goal, their primary focus is on the customer and the customer's satisfaction. But when we come into this place, the goal is not upon the people. The goal is not upon the person. The goal is upon God. And it should color how we serve one another. That we come in here and we are here not to serve the visitor. We are not here to serve the attender. We are not here to serve the needy. We are here to serve God. So Peter's going to talk about that. That's where Peter, that's where Peter is headed here in 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 1, read down through verse 5. And, and I want you to see it through that lens that Peter is going to talk about our service. And namely, you see there in your notes, he's going to talk about four different, uh, four different pictures or four different sides of our service. And it's as if Peter has been writing from this position. He's been writing to the majority of the people in the church. But as Peter then enters into chapter 5, it's like he steps to the side here. I don't know if the camera's going to pick me up, but it's like he steps over here to the side. And instead of just talking to the church, he starts talking to the leaders and the congregation. So as he comes into this, you may say, well, you know, some of this isn't initially directed to me. It's directed to us as a church. So would you follow along as I read aloud, starting in chapter 5 and verse 1, what Peter writes to the church. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the, sheep, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves with all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. The whole body of Christ pictured through the New Testament is that of a body. It's, it's a group of individual people coming together, serving one another. Let me just write down to the side there your margin, Romans chapter 12. And this is what Paul is writing when he talks about the church. He says, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us then use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one is in, if in service, or if service in our serving. To the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then he talks about it again in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12, talking about the body of believers. And so Peter is coming in with this backdrop that you have a church, and not everybody has the same position, not everybody has the same job, not everybody has the same calling, not everybody has the same position of service. So Peter comes in and he talks about these four different sides of service within the church and discussing them specifically with the idea of what does the world see in the church. So he first starts talking about the shepherd. <coughs> he talks about the shepherd. 
Starting there in verse 1, he says, I exhort the elders among you. He's going to then go on in the verse 2, and he's going to say, he's going to call them out by the shepherds. Now, who is he referring to? He is referring to the spiritual leadership of the church. Now, if you were to go back and you were to break that language down, you're going to find it's going to mean pastor. It's going to mean elder or a presbyteros. It's going to mean a bishop. It's going to mean somebody that's spiritually leading the church. Now, is that me? Yes. Is that more than me? Yes. It is the people that God has set aside, called aside, to spiritually lead this church. He's going to say that within the body of believers, he has set leadership in place to serve the body of Christ. So he first aims at the pastors, he aims at the elders, he aims at the leaders, and he says the first side of service is how those people serve the church. I have defined it before that pastors can be called serving leaders and deacons can be called leading servants. But it doesn't matter where your position is, whether you're standing here or whether you're sitting there, we are all here to serve one another. And we are all serving the body of believers. So he aims at the spiritual leaders in the church, and he says to shepherd the flock of God. He is reminding them that they are serving God by stewarding the flock. That they are serving God by stewarding the flock. So it's not a matter of coming in and saying, well, I have power, or it's not coming in and saying, well, I have this role, or I have this place, or people are here to serve after me. It's you're coming in recognizing that I am here to serve the people. So he talks about that there in verse 2, that they are to shepherd the flock of God. And then he goes on in verse 3 and 4, talking about the different characteristics of the shepherd. Notice he tells them there in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. He is telling them that part of their responsibilities in their area of service is oversight, being willing to serve in the capacity that God has called you to, being eager to serve the people that God has led you to, and being an example for the people. Paul says in another place, be an example of me as I imitate Christ. It's the idea that our children are watching our example. Church members are watching church members' examples. The lost people outside these walls are watching the church people's examples. There are many people today that are not in church today because of the example they saw in the church. And I know we can sit inside the church and we can say, well, they need to get right, right. They need to get right with Jesus and they need to get their heart right and they need to get in here. The problem is the majority of people that were in here and aren't in here anymore aren't in here because of the people that are in here. And so many times we've failed to understand that it's our example that either turns people to God or turns people away. And brothers and sisters, this is not a matter of me. This is not a matter of you. This is a matter of us as a representation before the kingdom of God. So just as you have shepherds, the shepherds are there to exercise their shepherding that God has called them to. They are an under-shepherd, if you will. John chapter 10 talks about the difference between a shepherd and a hireling. And unfortunately, in the days in which we're living in, we have too many hirelings that have leadership positions in churches. Well, how do you know if you have a hireling? Well, he talks about that there in the text. He talks about the, the idea of not being under compulsion. It's the idea of obligation. The fact that they come and they're here just for the paycheck. They're here just because they're expected to be. They're here not because they want to be here, because they have a job and they have bills. Or he talks about the shameful. He talks about that in verse, um, verse 3 or verse 2. Not for shameful gain. We have too many men that are power hungry, looking for wrongs on the ladder, looking to go to the next place, looking to ascend the popularity and the success of the church today, or even 
even domineering. It talks about that there in the the passage, that they are not eager, not domineering over those they serve. So he's looking at the spiritual leader and he's saying, you serve the kingdom of God by shepherding and stewarding the flock of God. I realize in the church we're in today, sometimes we say, well, I don't like that leader. I don't like that person. I don't want to be led by that person. But the reality is, friends, we're all being led by somebody. Every single one of us are being led by somebody. No, no, no. I realize that you may be one of those teenagers here. and You're like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. You're telling you what to do. Somebody is leading somebody. Everybody is being led by something. Leadership is a given. Character is optional. So he wants to look at the shepherd and he said, there's a responsibility that you have to shepherd the flock. And by shepherding the flock and stewarding the flock, you're serving the kingdom of God. But then he goes on. Because I realize that some of you are like, well, good, that's not me. He's not talking to me. Well, just wait. Because you go back there in verse 2 and notice, notice the, 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 the wording there in verse 2. I don't know how it may be in your English translation, but in my English translation, it says, shepherd the flock of God. So he is talking to the shepherds as being one part of the service of the church. And then he goes to the sheep. He starts talking about the sheep. Now, what do you mean, Spence? Where is he talking about the sheep? Well, in order to have a flock of God, you have to have sheep. I don't have sheep. I know, I know Ben and them, they've got sheep. And other you have sheep. So I'm not saying that I have a intimate knowledge about that. But I understand that it, to have a flock, you have to have at least one. And really, you're going to have to have more than one to have a flock. Flock is the plural, I believe, if you talk about it. And so it's one of those things that in order to have a shepherd who is shepherding a flock, that means you have to have a flock. And the flock consists of the people, the born-again believers, followers of Jesus Christ. And so he's reminding them as the church that when it comes to the area of service, you're going to have the shepherds and you're going to have the sheep. Well, I don't like the idea of being a sheep. John 10, 27 and 28 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. You go back to that passage in John chapter 10, and it kind of makes me think, I want to be a sheep. Why? Because when you're a sheep, you're in the hands of Jesus. When you're in a sheep, in the spiritual sense, you have an eternal security in heaven. When you're the sheep, you are protected by the chief shepherd. When you are a sheep, you are part of God's family. I realize that some people say, well, no, I want to be my own person. I want to do my own thing. Too bad the Bible doesn't tell you you can. The Bible says that we are here to serve. Not only are we serving one another, but we are here to serve the kingdom of God. And so part of that depends on where you're at in the whole position. Some people are shepherds. Some people are sheep. So how does a sheep serve the church? By being a healthy part of the flock. By being a healthy part of the flock. I've heard lots of stories from owners of sheep that will lament that one day the sheep is healthy, the next day the sheep is dead. And that their lack of desire to live or their lack of constitution, how so many times it, it seems like everything is going well and, and then something comes in and the sickness takes root and the next thing you know you go from health to sickness it seems like in a matter of hours and so many times within the life of the church you can have individuals and they come and they're looking healthy, they're acting healthy and then all of a sudden football season starts and is that too close? 
<laughs> I got too personal, didn't I? I love you. Or you're looking healthy and you're acting healthy. And then a mandate comes out. You're looking healthy and you're acting healthy. And then a problem at work arises. You're looking healthy and you're acting healthy. And then a doctor's visit doesn't go well. You're looking healthy and you're acting healthy. And then you buy a new boat. The only time you can catch fish is on Sundays. You're looking healthy and you're acting healthy until something in the world becomes a distraction and pulls your attention away from God. And the next thing you know, we find ourselves taking ourselves out of the care and the protection of the shepherd and we start <coughs> putting ourselves in danger of the enemy. So he tells us there in verse 3 as he is writing and Peter is writing and he's talking about this, this standard of service. He's talking about this relationship of service. He's talking about these different sides of service. So he says, hey, shepherds, make sure that you're being faithful in your service to the flock. And then he looks at the flock and he says, flock, make sure that you're being faithful in your service to the sheep's the other sheeps and the shepherd around you. Make sure that you're being a healthy part of the flock. How do you do that? Because you do that because you know who you are. You are a child of the living God. You are a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. You know that my identity is founded upon Christ, not upon my academics or not because of my possessions, not because of how many people know me. I know who I am because my identity is in Christ and they know who they serve. They do not serve humans. They do not serve this world. They do not serve the things that this world says are important. They are serving after God. And this is all right there where Peter is saying it it all comes down to your service to one another. And when you don't, don't grasp it, that I'm serving one another by just showing up. Yesterday morning we had a whole bunch of men in there. And I'm going to tell you, it's not that we have a, a certain quota that we have to have so many numbers, but I'm going to tell you it gets pretty awkward when you only have one. It gets pretty awkward when you have two. And the encouragement that comes with just the numbers that are sitting there. Hayden spoke yesterday morning, and I told Hayden, I said, well, you'll probably have 20 or 25. I, I was ministerially speaking, but it was one of those things I was just, I, was just I didn't want to freak him out. And then he gets here, and he's like, 25 my rear. This is a lot more than 25. And I was like, well, okay. Talk to him. Bless him. I mean, it's one of those things. That it's their encouragement is there. And in, and in some ways, just by you coming here this morning, you're an encouragement to someone else. Just by your participation in the body of believers, you're an encouragement to someone else. So he talks about the different sides of service. He talks about the shepherd, and he talks about the sheep. The problem is, is that we're living in a day that we have sheep that are full of pride, arrogance, and self-sufficiency, and they try to think that they're going to do it on their own, and the result is they only get eaten. In fact, he's going to talk about that next week in 1 Peter chapter 5. He's going to talk about this idea, the, the, the lion that is roaring around, the Satan that is there trying to devour the ones that have gone astray. So he talks about the shepherd. He talks about the sheep. But then he also looked down there in verse 4 and he says, and when the chief, the chief shepherd appears. So not only do you have this imagery when it comes to the service of the church as a shepherd, the sheep, but then you have the chief shepherd. Well, who is that? He's talking about Jesus Christ. 
He's talking about when it comes to the body of believers, you have the groom, Jesus. You have the bride, the church. The spiritual leaders that God has put in place would be considered the under-shepherds. They would be the assistants, if you will, as far as helping to serve and steward and manage the church. But it doesn't matter where you go into, if you have a biblically faithful New Testament church, that pastor is going to know that he is not in charge, that what he is is he is a steward, he is an under-shepherd, that he is an agent of Jesus Christ serving the people in which God has trusted him to. So he talks about this chief shepherd, and he talks about this chief shepherd in the sense of, his relationship to the church. Notice he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, what is he saying? He is saying that this chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, sees, knows, and is going to judge us one day. There's nothing that you do that skips the eye of the chief shepherd. Years ago, when Tucker and I were in the drilling rigs, <clears throat> You had one company man and you had one tool pusher on location. Those were the, the higher-ups, the, the bosses. So if you were prone to laziness or just weren't that good at a period, they put you on the night shift. Everybody go to sleep and just be the guys that were operating the drilling crew. And so usually the night shift was kind of known. That's when you kind of got to goof off and not, not a whole lot got done. And that's where you just kind of went to just be a, just be a coal if you, if, if you think about it. It wasn't too long ago, maybe six months or a year ago, I, I was talking to Tucker, and he said, oh, no, it's not that way anymore. Not only do we have cameras that you can pull up from the office, and it sees every angle, every spot, every rock on location, but now we have a daytime and a nighttime person in charge. I said, so you mean these guys are coming to work, to work the night shift, and if you're down there on the mud pits, there's a camera watching you, and there's a company man somewhere at 2.30 in the morning making sure you're doing your job. And he's like, yeah. And I said, that's really stinky. I just don't think that's fair. I think that they should have an opportunity to go hide and do something mischievous or do something they shouldn't do. That's why they're on the night shift. But it's the idea that they're always being watched. And I can guarantee you, when you think about it, and the idea that you're always being watched, it changes how you act. Sometimes we think when we go home that nobody sees us and we do what we want. We think we get in our vehicles and nobody sees us and we do, we do what we want. We, we, we think that when we're alone and we're watching our screen and our television or we're listening to the music or we're watching a video or reading an article or we're, or we're swiping, that nobody sees it. Do you think when you swipe left or you swipe right, nobody sees it? Do you think that when you linger... When you think, when you dwell, when you, when you ponder, when you meditate, when you, when you let your mind run free, you think that nobody sees it, that nobody knows. You think that you are free from the oversight of God. And what Peter wants to remind us is when we come to church, we are always under the eyes of God. When we go home, we're always under the eyes of God. When we go to our workplaces, we're always under the eyes of God. And God knows whether we're serving him or whether we're serving this world. God knows whether we are servants of his or servants of this world. So he reminds us that the, both the shepherd and the sheep will give an account. Hebrews chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 5, both give us that explanation. He reminds us that there is one day that we are, going to give, we are going to give an account to God. And our service will be on display. The level of our service, the attitude of our service... The faithfulness of our service, it will all be on display. <clears throat> so then how do we, how do we serve one another well? 
He talks about the four sides of service, the shepherd, the sheep, the chief shepherd, but then he talks about the method. And you look down there in verse five and he gives us this method. He gives us this prescription. He gives us this idea of how it is that we then serve one another. So he gets down there in verse five. And this is really where I want to camp out for the, uh, the rest of this morning. He says there in verse five, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. He's just talking about the younger people in the church. This is, you're to submit yourselves. You're not in charge. You don't know everything. Follow the leadership that God has put in place. But then he goes on and he says, clothe yourselves, all of you. Now, if you look it up in the original language, that all word means all. Every single body, every single set of noses in this place, every set of ears in this place, every eyeballs in this place, all of you. He says, clothe all of you with what? Humility. Humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's like Peter gives us the secret sauce in serving one another, serving God, and serving this community. And it's not in more programming. It's not in more activities. It's not in more diverse ministries. It's not in a new sanctuary. It's not in better chairs. It's not in different lighting. It's not in different sound amplification. It's not in different clothes. It's not in different personalities. The way that we serve so that people see a difference in us is in our humility. I don't know about you, but I come to that and I go, no, it's got to be more difficult than that. There's got to be some more cryptic recipe. There's got to be some other hard ingredients that are there. It can't be that simple. And Peter just simply says, listen, you want to set this community on fire? You want to leave this community in awe about what is going on down there at First Baptist Church, Wellston? Let them see an air, an air of humility about us. Let people come in these walls and not see arrogance or pride because of who we are. Let them come in and see that we are so humble because who we are in Christ. Let them come in and let they understand that, you know what? Hey, I don't know what they're doing, but you know what? I can know for certain they are in love with Jesus. Let them come in and them not see our programs or our methodologies. Let them not come in and see our, who we are and our sufficiencies and our abilities and our capabilities, but let them come in and see Christ. So Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. He wants to drive home the point that faithful service requires humility and humble hearts are fertile hearts. If you're not being humble, if you're not humble in the eyes of God, then God will not be able to use you to accomplish the purpose that he has for you. So we're living as a church and we're living in these days and we wonder how it is that we make a difference. This isn't a competition. We're not in competition with Trinity. We're not in competition with missionary. We're not in competition with the assembly of God. We're not in competition with the church of Christ. We're not in competition with any other church in this community. We are, we are, advancing the kingdom of God, chasing darkness, trying to get a hold of lost people to tell them that there is hope and there is help in Jesus Christ. That is what we are to be doing. But it's not going to work if we go around saying, well, you need to come down here because we got better music. Who gives a rip about the music? We want you to come to First Baptist Church because we want Jesus to get a hold of you. We want you to come to First Baptist Church because we want lives to be transformed. We want a community to be changed. But it all starts with us understanding that it is not about us. I don't know how they got to the number. But somehow they got to a 151 number a couple weeks ago. 
I think they're counting both nostrils as two. I don't think they're counting one nose. I think they're counting two noses. But we get to this number and everybody's like, okay, you know, now, now the monkey has to dance. And so it's like, okay, that's fine. Monkey will dance. But you know, the focus is not the number. The focus is the opportunity. The focus is the opportunity that we have to invest in 151 people's lives and the fact that we had an opportunity to influence and minister to 151 souls at one time. That is the opportunity and that is the focus and people aren't going to come because of how cool we are or because of how good we are, but they will come when they hear of how cool and how good our Savior is. And that's going to require humility. That's going to require an attitude that says, it's not about me, it's about him. And I want people to come in and I want people to see him. So Peter says, you want to be different? You want to live differently in this church? You want the church to, you want the church to rise up and you want to see a revival take place in the community? You want to see people get on fire for the Lord? Let them see a humility in your hearts. Why, Spence? Why should we be humble? Because forgiven hearts are humble hearts. When you realize that you didn't deserve anything, you didn't earn anything, you didn't inherit anything because of your goodness or because of your looks or because of your last name, you realize that everything is because God so loved you that he sent his son to die for you. And that humility because you realize that I have been forgiven, not because of my education, not because of my possessions, not because of my last name, not because of my demographic, not because of my ethnicity, nothing. I am forgiven by God because what Jesus Christ has done for me. That, that should make us humble. I didn't buy it. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And yet, I got it. A forgiven heart is a humble heart, and not just that. But faithful hearts are humble hearts. Faithful hearts are humble hearts. <clears throat> if you look there in verse 5, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. He's drawing in this one another language. Now, there's another place that you'll find in the New Testament, specifically Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul is writing, and he keeps talking about this idea, this difference that Christ makes in you, the difference that Christ makes in the church, is that you have all of these little Christians, all these little Christ running around, trying to see how much they can serve one another. And so we are, com we, we are consumed with this idea of being the kind of people that are serving one another. And I am serving you. You're serving me. We're serving other people. We're serving the lost. We're serving the, the hurting. We're serving the, the weak. We're serving the infirm. We are serving one another. So he says that service to one another begins with a heart of humility. He, he's referring back up to 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. He's saying it begins with humility. But I struggle with that. I struggle with humility. I look around and I start to say, you know, I've got this talent or I've got this ability. I've sacrificed or I've worked in this area and other area. I've accomplished this. I have earned this. Before long, the pride and arrogance starts to seep in. And that idea that God needs me becomes a whisper. 
And then as I think about what God needs me, then it then goes to the church needs me. Well, you know, if I didn't go to that church and if I didn't give to that church, that church can do what it does. Or, you know, if I didn't go to Sunday school, they wouldn't have anything to talk about. Or if I wasn't as involved with the church as I was, they just couldn't do what they're doing. You know, next thing you know, that, that whisper begins to erode at your heart. And it hardens your heart. And it hardens your actions. And then before long, you start coming to church thinking the church owes you. And you start to think that you're now in control. And you trade in that heart of service for a heart of criticism. And then you start to look around and say, well, I don't like this and I don't like that and they better get it straight or I'm going to do something else. And you forget that sheep don't tell the shepherd what to do. And if sheep are being led by the chief shepherd, then the chief shepherd tells the sheep what to do. And we start letting what started as a whisper become an influence. And an influence becomes a stumbling block. And it all is started because we lost that piece of humility in our hearts. And church, I don't know how to stress it any clearer that oftentimes what disables the church from being the church and the community and the world in which God has placed it is when a church forgets who they are in Christ and they lose their humility to God. And they start to think, I don't need the Holy Spirit. I've got a new program. I don't need the direction of the Holy Spirit. I've got a new methodology. Oh, we don't need the dependency of God to lead us. We're just going to do what the church down the street is doing. Oh, oh we, we've got this figured out. See, we've got all of these procedures, all these events. We understand that if we just come in and make this about entertainment and make this about pleasing people and we say that we're going to fill this place and we're going to draw in the crowds and we forget that what we're doing is we're replacing the object of worship for God and replacing the object of worship as man. And then we wonder why the church is so weak today. We wonder why we see such a big transfer of people going from this church to that church to that church and we don't see, we don't see growth through regeneration. We don't see growth through transformation. We see growth from sheep jumping from barn to barn to barn. And church, based upon what I see out of the Word of God this morning, the only way that we're going to truly make a difference in the community we're in is when this community sees a difference in our service to one another. So how do we do that? Just three things. I know I'm out of time. Just three things and we'll be done. Three things that I would ask for us to pray about, ask for us to think about, ask for us to think, is this true about me? The first thing is, be a sheep and not a goat. Be a sheep and not a goat. What are you talking about, Spence? What is the difference between a sheep and a goat? Well, spiritually speaking, biblically speaking, there is all the difference in the world between a sheep and a goat. Let me read for you. <coughs> Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. Listen to how Matthew puts it. He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the glorious throne. Before Him He will gather all the nations and He will separate. He will separate people 
one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will, he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. That the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you by the foundation of the world. And then he goes on and he says, but to the goats, verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire. He is saying that the big difference is between the sheep and the goat. The analogy is, the picture is, the illustration is, is that you have people in the church that are both sheep and you have people in the church that are goats. Now, how do we know whether the sheep, whether you are a sheep or a goat? God knows and you know. So what are you trying to say, Spence? I'm trying to say that what we need in the church today is more sheep. And if you're a goat, get right with Jesus. Repent. Repent of your sin. Confess your sin before the Lord. Know that there is no way that you're getting out of this world without a personal relationship without a personal relationship between Jesus Christ. Understand that we can put all the band-aids on the sickness and the sin in this world, and until we have people getting holy and righteous in the eyes of God, we're not going to see a revival take place. And parents, you can come and you can put on the show at church, but when you go home and you don't put that show on at the house, the children see the difference. Be a sheep and not a goat. And we have too many goats showing up at church in sheep's clothing. And God sees the difference. Not just that. I think Peter would also exhort us and encourage us to be healthy and to be present. To be healthy and be present. If you were to go back to Romans chapter 12 or you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you're going to see that he is talking about this health of the body, this, this action of the body that it is, that is built upon the body members, the members of the body all being healthy and serving one another. Now there are times that you're going to be spiritually dry. There's going to be times that you're going to go through slumps. There's going to be times that you're going to have the ebb and the flow of your spiritual walk. But brothers and sisters, when we get sick, do something about it. And being sick and laying down and wallowing does not help the body of believers. If you are spiritually sick, read the Bible. If you are spiritually sick, pray to God. If you're spiritually sick, stop doing the things that have caused you to get sick. Stop. Stop. The other day, Ezra comes running out. The wind's blowing He's had a little issue this last week. And he comes running out in t-shirts and his shorts. And I look at him and I say, get back in the house. And he just falls apart. <laughs> I said, son, you're on antibiotics. The wind's blowing. The wind chill factor's out here. I don't need you making it worse. Go inside. And if you want to come outside, come out better prepared. And I'm looking at him and he's like, I don't understand why I can't come outside. Because what you're doing is not helping your overall health. And I hear, I hear some, some of you sweet people doing some knuckleheaded stuff and you wonder why you're spiritually sick. Because you keep doing the things that cause sickness. Last one. Be humble and be ready. Be humble and ready. Why do I bring this up? Be humble and be ready because God says the way that we're going to best serve one another is when we are humble and we are ready when God calls. 
And brothers and sisters, so many times you and I are so focused on ourselves, we're so focused on our own problems, we're so focused on the things that are irrelevant to us that we forget that we have not been called to be it about me. We have not been called to get the limelight or to get the focus. We have been called to serve after God. So my question to us, the ask this morning is just simply to say, how is your service? How is your service? Now I'm not talking about your service to First Baptist Church Wilson. I'm talking about your service to God. Do people see a difference in you because of your service to God? You can fake it all day long in here. But you can't fake it in here. And I believe based upon the authority of God's word, when you get it right here, people will see it. We want to make a difference in this community. We want to see, we want the community to see a difference in us. Let there be humility in the service about us. That we're here to serve and we're here to worship our Savior. Would you bow your heads with me?